Welcome to the System Hub Podcast. Hola. Konnichiwa. Guten Tag. Where we interview world-class experts. You have to have a lot of passion for what you're doing. I was fanatical in my 20s. If you could find a way to produce a business that works without you, your life would change like that. Extracting, organizing, and optimizing their best systems and processes for rapid business growth. Now, let's get into the show. Welcome back to the Business Systems Summit. I'm your host, David Jennings, and in this session, we're going to be chatting with Ari Mizell. He's the author of a couple of best-selling books. There is The Art of Less Doing and The Replaceable Founder. Now, I came across Ari's work actually through a mutual friend of ours, Nathan Chan, who produced a productivity course with him. And I, the more I dug into Ari's story, I loved it because he got diagnosed with Crohn's disease and he had no choice but to become more efficient with his work. And that kind of led him on this path to create the idea of less doing. And now today he teaches other business owners how to get more done with less. And he's just gone from strength, really picking up some momentum, working with some amazing founders and thought leaders and starting to get some good exposure. And we share a similar mission to help business owners win back control over their business. So it's with great pleasure that I get to welcome Ari to the summit. Thank you so much for having me. It's always a pleasure. Nice. And I know there's a lot for us to cover. We talk about a system that you're going to share is the system to replace yourself so that the business can grow without you. And we'll talk about your three key steps in that. But I thought maybe just to start, it's always good to talk about some of the, the challenges and problems that you see business owners have and how this particular system solves that. And then we can go through those steps, step by step. Yeah. So I got my start in personal productivity and dealing with overwhelm. So a lot of times we actually refer to me as the overwhelmologist. And I think that that's something that happens a lot in businesses. And this isn't like, oh, you know, I'm burning the midnight oil or I'm just hustling too much. Like it, it's a little bit deeper than that for me. And it's really about the way that we approach businesses. And at the end of the day, a lot of small businesses and people who operate small businesses, they're not really running businesses. It's more like they just own their own job. Uh, and what I mean by that is that uh, if it's a sustainable business, that means that the, the owner can step away, right? And the business will not only continue to operate, but it should continue growing in their absence. And 99% and of the businesses that we see are not in that kind of a situation. If the owner steps away, the business flatlines or dies. So, and there's a much bigger discussion, obviously, that we're going to have about that. But that's sort of the biggest issue is that it's really tied to the founder or the, the owner, the CEO, whatever you want to call it for its, its sort of natural success and operation. It's funny, we, we see that quite frequently because the founder gets so good at just solving problems, putting out fires, being very task-driven, and then that's okay to get you to one size, but then it's actually the thing that holds you back as you start to grow the team and step back. And that that letting go and passing on and changing the way that you work, yeah, we see it all too often. I don't know if you yeah, have any insights around that. Yeah, so it's funny. Actually, there's a great business coach that I, I really admire named Alex Sharfin, and he has this thing called the billionaire code. And one of the things that it shows from an enormous amount of data is that that exact thing that you said, which is that the thing that got them to one point is the thing that keeps them there. And we see that at several levels. We see that at, from 300,000 to a million dollars in revenue, a million to three, three to 10, and then 10 to 30 and 30 and beyond. Uh, there's very sort of specific issues at each one of those levels. And I generally, I mean, I work in pretty much every range there is, but I, I generally specialize in the one to 10 million. And from 300,000 to a million, you really need to be focusing on systems and processes that replace what you do well. Once you hit over a million, that's 
And now you're looking at people to delegate to that can replace some of those things that you haven't been able to or create system processes around some extent. Once you get to 3 million, then you're looking at building a C-suite, essentially, and really growing a leadership team. So you can see how at each level there, if you don't create those things or don't do those things, it's almost impossible to progress beyond them. Yeah, and it oftentimes is a, a blind spot for business owners, particularly, like you said, in that first bracket where they're the visionary, they're big picture thinking, oftentimes not very detail orientated. And for some reason, there's a lot of stigma and myths surrounding what systemization and processes looks like. And then it's almost like they just shut off to that and not be open to that. Have you, have you seen yeah, ways to try and bridge them through and, and I suppose, break some of those myths? Yeah. So it's interesting how much uh, psychology and emotion goes into this. Um, and you know, very little of it really ends up having to do with much of the other stuff. But all the other stuff's really easy once they can accept that they're not that unique. Uh, that's kind of the biggest thing is that we always have this myth that it's, it's all about the hustle, right? And it, what keeps us in that place is a sort of fear and ignorance state that we think that that's the way it has to be. And that's the way it's always been for most people. Um, and as you said, they're very reactive, right? So it's not even that they're solving things, as you said. It's that most people are in this realm of fixing things. If they could solve them, that would be amazing. But a lot of times the problem pops up, they fix it. They don't ever take the time to think about how they can solve it. So everyone's firefighting instead of building a fireproof building. And that makes us feel useful and valuable and needed. And again, there's a whole deep rabbit hole of psychology you could go into there. But ultimately, you have to get, the pe get people to realize that not only are they limiting the business's ability to grow, but they're really limiting their ability to grow at some point this sort of extreme state of overwhelm that we see all the time is where you get to a point where no matter what you do, you feel like you're going to disappoint someone. And whether that's disappointing your team, your investors, your family, yourself, your friends, your children, no matter what you do, you're going to disappoint somebody. And that's a really bad place to be. Mm, it's funny. I, I had a really big breakthrough for me. I ended up getting like an integrator on that idea, you know, the, the COO, the, the right-hand woman to a, a lot of the work that I was doing. And she enabled me because I, as the business owner, love to solve problems and people's problems and fix things for team members. And then as I had the discussion with her, she managed to reframe things where, you know, as we started to build out our processes and procedures, the way I helped them was you know, they'd come to me for a question and, and instead of actually solving it there in the moment, we'd kind of go look for the solution together, which was, well, let's go have a look inside our knowledge base. See, is that answer inside uh, our system hub? And if it's not, great. Well, we can look at solving that problem perpetually. And, but it would also help to train the team member then, hang on, all Dave's going to do is say, let's go here first. I got the feeling of feeling like I was helping but really it was also a process of retraining both of us, which was a huge breakthrough. I don't know if you've seen any other little, I suppose, little strategies like that as a way to, to break patterns. Yeah. So it's ultimately very, very difficult to do this stuff on your own. And I don't, you know, even on your own doesn't yeah. actually mean like you don't have a team, but on your own, meaning you don't really have peers and that's yeah. not to, you know, levelize people or, or class people. But at the, at the end of the day, a lot of times, you know, the, actually the best example of this is a doctor's office, a dentist's office, doctor's office, whatever you want. There's a huge disparity between the medical practitioner and the 
medical transcription as the billing person, right? And it's not that one is more intelligent, but clearly one has a lot more schooling, a lot more exposure to kinds of things. And that vacuum is huge, particularly in those kind of businesses. And it's very lonely in some ways for the doctor in those kind of settings where they don't have that sort of peer input. And so again, it's not to say that one is, you know, a higher level than the other, but you ultimately need to be getting that kind of feedback from peers or people that you at least see at peers. So whether you have a partner or CEO slash COO relationship or something like that, you need to have that sort of counterpart in order to be able to not even just see your blind spots, but really work through them. Yeah. It makes perfect sense. I have sort of the ultimate opposite in my team where, so I'm the CEO and I have a COO who I was a West Point grad, which for those who are not in America is like the military academy here in America. So she went to West Point. She did like a decade in Iraq and now is a mother of four children. So she is a tough cookie and she's very, very detail oriented and doesn't really like change too much and doesn't like when things don't have a plan. And for me, I'm like, hey, guys, we're changing the business today. You know, so that's created a lot of stress at certain points. But I've learned to work in that sort of framework a lot more. And it's been ultimately the most incredible fomenting relationship for the business. Yeah. And I think military is one of those industries. The other ones I see is things like engineers. A lot of people with finance backgrounds, they tend to resonate really well with the the systems side of things. As far as like working through this, I know you've got a framework, these three sort of pillars that you stand on. I'd love it if you could take us through each of those and then we can give some people some ideas on how they'd start to deploy it in their business. Yeah. So just to give some context on the way that this sort of came about, I was working in construction about 15 years ago, 16 years ago, and I was 20 years old. I just got into college. And so I was working these really long, hard days. I was building this, this big project. And after about three years of doing this, I am working 18-hour days, not taking particularly good care of myself. I was diagnosed with Crohn's disease. For those who don't know, it's a chronic inflammatory condition that affects the digestive tract. It's, it's very debilitating. So the short, the long story short is that I went from working 18 hours a day to working an hour a day, if I was lucky. And the big realization there, which formed the basis for everything that I teach now, was you take somebody now, uh, and I love doing this, and you sort of ask somebody who works a nine-to-five job, and you say, what would you do if you could only work till four? Right? And usually they'll say, well, I'd just skip lunch, you know, or I'd take one less call, something easy. But if you ask that same person, okay, well, now what would you do if you could only work an hour a day? It's like mind bending, right? And the thing is, is that that requires a completely different way of thinking than you have ever experienced before for most people. And when I came across this very real situation, there really wasn't a system out there to help with that, which is why I created Less Doing. And the idea, which is the system here, was to help people optimize, automate, and outsource everything in their lives at the time, lives, not just businesses, in order to be more effective. And so... It's a really important order and a really important structure to understand. So the first thing is that outsourcing is at the end, but I I need to harp on that for a minute because if you, I love, this is my favorite question when I give talks or things, we ask people, how many of you have ever outsourced something in your life? And I assume, David, that you've outsourced things before, right? And then I say, and how many of you have ever had a bad experience outsourcing things in your life? Would you raise your hand to that one? Yeah, yeah, for sure. Okay. So usually I get more people raising their hand to the second question than to the first one. <laughs> and the thing is, is then I say, well, it, it's, it's the, I'm sorry to say, but it was probably your fault because we're really bad communicators when it comes to communicating success. We're really bad delegators. It's not a natural thing 
that people have within them. And also, as much outsourcing as I do, which is a lot by anybody's standards, I'm doing that while constantly trying to avoid outsourcing because as soon as you involve a person, you're opening yourself up to a whole bunch of things that you weren't before. So we always start with optimize first. And for me, optimize means that we're looking at how you do what you do now. And that may seem really simple, but typically you ask somebody, why do you do things this way? Why do you pay bills that way? You know, why do you do marketing this way? Why are you doing Instagram? Whatever. And the answer almost always is, I don't know, that's how we've been doing it for six months. You know, or that's how we've been doing it since we signed up for Infusionsoft. Like there's the reason for doing it is because they've been doing it, which is kind of like the definition of insanity, right? So if we don't stop and look at how we're doing what we're doing, then not only are we robbing ourselves the opportunity for greater productivity and efficiency, but we're also creating a situation that's very dangerous because if you know something in the business about how it operates, if you know something about the way the business operates that somebody else in the business doesn't, very bad day when you don't show up. Yeah. Right? So optimizing is really, again, documenting what we're doing. Some of it involves tracking and time tracking. The, <laughs> this is just a cool thing. One of my favorite devices right now for time tracking is this. I don't know if you've seen this called the Timular. No, no. This is a really fantastic device. It's got eight sides to it and it's Bluetooth. But whatever you want, you can write for me is finance activity. Uh, this is coaching. And so you just place it face up with whatever you're doing and it tracks your time. Love it. Yeah. And so it's, and what's really cool about this is that because it's one per side, right? It's almost impossible for you to try to multitask because as soon as you switch activity, you're going to be like, oh, well, I got to switch the thing then, right? It's like a physical weight to it. So simple things like that. And you start to really learn things about how you're spending your time. You know, people find that they feel like they're so busy. They're so busy. But when you really get down to it, they're spending on average, if you look at America, at least, it's like an average of 3.2 hours a day of actual productive work, but yet everyone feels so busy. So we optimize for us. We look at how we're doing what we're doing. We look at the processes that we're going through. Great, great thing to think about here is guess, David, the average number of steps that are required to pay a bill as a person. 15. Okay. Not bad. It's 23. Yep. And typically people be like, I don't know, six, seven, you know, and the thing is, is what that shows is that you have no idea what it actually takes. And if you were to explain it to somebody, you would tell them those 15 steps and miss the other seven or eight, right? So we start with documenting how we're doing what we're doing again. And there's so much to be learned from just looking at the way we do things now. Once we've optimized. With sorry, that one as well, I wanted to, to touch on that because it's from the outside looking in, when you look at your methodology and the three steps, it'd be easy because we teach a, a process as well. And now I'm, I'm loving digging into this and finding out that because when you think optimize, there's le- levels to that. Obviously, you have to get very clear on what you're doing first. So you need to capture those, get some of those processes, understand, record, get metrics so you you understand when you start to make changes what is the flow-on effect that that will have and i think just starting with optimize yeah it's it's, bless you is very key i'm glad we're digging in because now i'm starting to see yeah even more alignment in the way that we're approaching things because it's yeah we we first get that baseline that makes sense then we opt like then we start to look for those improvements well the other thing about that too which you have to keep in mind right is that a lot we'll have people come to us and I always talk about this and people will come to me with a solution rather than a problem. 
which is a problem. This is at least once a week. Somebody asks me, what's the best CRM these days? What do you recommend for the best CRM? And for those who don't know, that's a customer relationship management system. And they're expecting me to be like, oh, it's, you know, Airtable. Nimble. They're one of our sponsors for the event. So I'll say Nimble. Nimble. Okay. Actually, Nimble's a really good one. But my answer is usually, well, what do you need a CRM for? Yeah. Half the time they got a good answer and like, well, I'm you know, doing this and like I have this many people to track and I have this system in place. It's like, okay, great. Well, then I think you should use this one. But the other half of the time they're like, you know, because I'm growing, I need a CRM or my friend at this other law firm has one and said I should get this or I saw this thing at a, you know, a trade show. That's not the reason, right? And you get into it. And it's like, well, what do you actually need to do with it? And it's, well, I need to follow up with people on a timely manner. It's like, well, then you really just need a calendar. You know, like it's, it's ridiculous. A lot of times they're like, oh, I need this thing. It's going to solve all my problems. So as far as optimizing, what that really comes down to is that if you're getting a result that you want, you're getting the result that you want, you know, closing a deal, delivering a product, whatever it might be as dirty, as ugly, as time intensive and expensive as it might be, as long as you are getting that finish line, awesome. We can optimize from that because now we can document the 57 steps that it takes to get there and take out the 20 that make them, you know, all that kind of stuff. Yeah. But when somebody comes to you and they're like, I need an awesome process for automated hiring. It's like, well, are you hiring well now? You know, no, we're not. Well, then we can't automate it, you know, and there's nothing to optimize. So it's really, they have to approach it the right way. And that optimizes the biggest part of the whole puzzle. I love that that thinking and, and drilling in for these finer nuances, you know, we always talk about um, do human automation first. Oftentimes you you go through and that helps you to identify the steps and where the improvements are and what can be improved. And yes, you, you want to automate it, but you want to make sure you're automating something that's working and efficient. Otherwise, you're just automating a broken process or one that isn't needed. Precisely. It's amazing how much people gloss over that step. Yeah, makes sense. For this particular optimized step, is there any other additional points to add here? No. So, I mean, once we optimize things, then we can sort of move on to the next phase, which is automation. Yeah, yeah. So how does that work? What's usually the first sort of step in that process? So the good thing is that once you optimize and you've identified how you're doing these different things, automation actually becomes a lot more obvious because you start to break things down into their most rote steps. The, well, actually, let me back up for a second. There is one more thing to say about optimization. So the way that most people document processes is wrong. Um, a lot of people have it with a screencast or a video of something, and it's in some library where people can check things, or they have it in a Word doc with a whole bunch of checklists to it. Both of those, I would say 90% of the time, that's what people use. Both of those are really bad. Agreed. Um, so I'm sorry, anyways, listening, if that's what you use. But here's the problem. If you use a Word doc for your checklist and things, there's nothing to make somebody actually use it. And there's nothing to stop somebody from saying, oh, yeah, I went through step 20 through step 27. Yeah, no, of course I did that. And nothing to stop somebody from changing that checklist as well, even if it's an accident. If it's a video, it's very annoying to watch people screencast videos a lot of times. They're very hard to update, which means we won't update them. And someone has to watch the entire thing before they can get started. And it's basically a photocopy of a photocopy. So somebody is teaching you all of their bad habits by doing a screen test. Lastly about that is that a lot of times all these processes are kept in a place that people don't actually know where they are. So people are constantly have to ask, where is the process for the thing? And then you have to find out, this is how we teach them. This is the big hack for building absolutely perfect bulletproof processes. Do the screencast that you would normally do or show somebody in person or do a video if it's an industrial process, whatever it might be. 
give that video or screencast to somebody and ask them not to do the process, but to write the checklist. Right? Yeah. So they write what they saw. But then you go a step further and you give that step checklist now to a third person who hasn't seen it yet and have them run through the process. It will never work, ever. And that's a great thing because this is what happens now. They get to step two in the process and it says, open the payroll document for November. And this random person says, where is the payroll document? How do I access it? So you need, you're like, okay, I have to change that. It has to say, open this document with a link. And if you need the passwords and your password manager under this category, then they get to step five and it says, now click the big red button. And they say, I don't see a big red button. And you're like, oh, right, because I was logged in as an admin and you're not. I have to fix that now. And when you get to the very end of the process, it says, when you're done with this, give it to Sally. Now, if you want to ever make sure that somebody is not replaceable in your business, name them in a process. So that person says, well, I, you know, I don't know who that is, or Sally doesn't work here anymore, whatever it might be. So and most common things there is people will write processes and they'll refer to assets like a document in a relative sense, and they'll refer to people in an absolute sense, and we want to reverse those so you go through that with this third party and you fix step two and then you fix step five and you remove step six because it makes no sense and you fix step 13. And now what you've done is you've created a process that is so bulletproof that you have shown that you could literally take somebody off the street and have them run through that process without error. And that is a perfectly optimized process. So then automation, as I said, becomes really obvious because now you've broken it down into really small bite-sized chunks. So when we get to that step about social media posting where it says, now post this on Facebook. Once you're done with that, post it on Twitter. Once you're done with that, post it on LinkedIn. It's repetitive enough and small enough that you can see like, okay, well, we can probably automate that part of it. We can use something like IFTTT or Zapier and you know get those steps out of there completely. So you take a process that starts at 40 steps, you automate half of it. And now what you've done is you've created a way that people don't have to be involved in that process anymore. You can set it and forget it. And we can talk deeper about automation, but automation can go from the very complex involving machine learning, artificial intelligence to the very simple, which is what's really relevant here, which is triggers and actions. So every time this thing happens, this has to happen. Were you going to say something? Yeah, around that, this happens, then that happens. I think, and you touched on it earlier, that idea of now creating almost that accountability. Oftentimes I feel people miss the project management component. You know, they might've got something documented, but then the who is doing what by when, and it's that perfect combination of having someone accountable for a task or those key milestones that are identified that, yeah, really kind of make those systems start to come alive and then you actually get the follow through. And like you said, you, you know, we can start there, but then you can take elements of that out and part of it will then get added into robots. And I know you're a big fan of things like Zapier. And I think I have even seen in, in the course that you did with Nathan, there was a, a machine learning platform that you feed data in to have it help reach conclusions for you. So you kind of, yeah, you kind of, if you imagine this continuum, you start off, first manual and you progressively get more and more automated once you go, oh, well, a machine should do this now. Yeah. Uh, and that's the thing is you, ha- you really have to go through these steps because a lot of people want to skip the line essentially, right? And go to uh, immediately to like, oh, let's automate this thing. But it, what are we automating? And, you know, we don't, you have to figure out what you're automating first. Yeah, that makes perfect sense. 
And then the, the final stage, the outsourcing, which is interesting because a lot of people, like you said, people like to jump straight to the final step, yet you kind of have to go through the other steps to make sure that you're at least out, like the outsourcing part is often one of the most expensive components because you're paying for labor at that point in time. So you, you rather than a machine and, and solving it once. So you want to make sure that you're at least outsourcing the right things that'll have impact. It's really well said, honestly, and I want to give you credit for that because, uh, you know, productivity is producing more, being productive and being efficient is producing more with less, but being effective is producing the right things. Yeah. Uh, and that's what you just sort of referred to there is that you have to use the tools for the right kind of things. And outsourcing is never going to be the first step, in my opinion, because, again, if you take an inefficient process that has elements in it that a computer should be doing, you are now setting somebody up to make mistakes and dehumanize themselves. So you want somebody to engage with that work and feel empowered, good luck, right? So once we've optimized and automated, we're basically outsourcing what's left. And what's left is not the crap that nobody wants to do, quite the opposite usually. It's the things that a human being really does need to do and can actually sink into. So if you're going to have an audit, a, a, a social media posting process, for example, we can automate the posting to the different platforms, but we may not and probably not automate the creation of the creative side of things, right? So for somebody to think like, oh, we're automating everything away, so now we're just going to leave people with the, the button pushing, that's what the opposite. computers are for, right? It's exactly the opposite. And people appreciate that, first of all, because they're given something they can actually sink their teeth into. And again, it, it's literally dehumanizing if you give somebody work that a computer should be doing. So at that point, the outsourcing becomes really obvious because now we don't have to get a virtual assistant that's going to upload all the things to the different places. And we don't have to get another virtual assistant that's going to make sure that you do things on time. What we may end up with is obviously we need a graphic designer, right? Or obviously we need a copywriter at that point. Really skilled things that can add a lot of value to an otherwise an otherwise mired process. And I think it's one of those things, that's when you start to really appreciate you know, bang, paying the, the best possible rate for the person with the best possible skill. Like oftentimes when people think about offshoring and going to other economies, they're, they're thinking about that lowest price. But if you also add that qualifier in there and if you're effectively outsourcing these higher quality tasks that you know will produce an ROI, then you want to go, right, where, where do I find the best person? I need to get design done. Let's go to Eastern Europe because you can get great designers over there for great value for money. Oh, great. I need you know, someone to do customer support. You might look to the Philippines. or and, and then you start to get an idea of where to go for this talent. Do you, do you have any suggestions on this outsourcing component on finding the right people? Yes, I do. When you look at outsourcing, there's basically two different kinds of two different kinds of outsourcing. You have the generalists and the specialists, right? So generalists are kind of the VAs, the admin people that can do a little bit of everything. The specialists are more like the, the coders, the graphic designers, the website design, whatever it might be. But then we have the demand, the uh, dedicated and on-demand version. So dedicated is kind of obvious. You get the same person of time, one person, all of your stuff. And then there's the on-demand, which could give you access to two or dozens or hundreds of providers of that same service. So I am almost 100% like against dedicated anything. I think that you're just creating another single point of failure. So when it comes to virtual assistants, I will only work with services that give you two or more people. Uh, the one that we work with currently provides a team of 20 with redundancy. Same thing for graphic designers. We'll use a graphic design company rather than a 
single graphic designer. And no matter how high level your needs are, I would always say you need to have two, at least, with redundancy. And you can do that when you're outsourcing because you're not fully employing any of these people anyway. And so you have that flexibility. So there's a number of different ways to sort of find and test these places. But honestly, one of the best is Fiverr. So Fiverr.com, a lot of people are familiar with it, but they're not necessarily familiar with really the power behind it. So Fiverr is a marketplace where you can get things done for as little as $5 and thing, everything from translate 500 words to write 500 words to be a VA for an hour, whatever it might be. And I'd say that 95% of the people that are providing things on Fiverr are not very good. They're good enough. But there's 5% that are really, really talented. And for $5, you can test out one of those people and mm -hmm. find out how good they are. It's wonderful because let's say you need somebody to do podcast editing. You can hire four people on Fiverr at the same time for 20 bucks and see which one responds the fastest, which one provides what you want. I have had, you know, I'd say a dozen people at this point come to work for me pretty much full time that I met on Fiverr. It's very, very common. And they're not going to leave Fiverr because they still get all sorts of new business and clients from it. But it's a really great platform to sort of dip your toe in the outsourcing pool, as it were. I was going to say that particular strategy is incredibly effective. That idea of hiring three or four people to do a very small piece in the job because very quickly someone floats to the top and you go, wow, this person you know, is not 5% better. This person is twice as quick, twice as communicative. Um, they got me. They asked questions when they needed, you know, some clarification and they didn't just fudge their way through. And very quickly it stands out. And you, you just don't see that when you're working with one person solo in isolation. You might think they're great, but you only think they're great because that's all you know. So it's, yeah, a really good strategy there. Yeah, and then we get into the more specific uh, outsourcing. So there's things like even, I mean, there's UpCounsel, which is just for outsourcing to lawyers. There's things like Penji, P-N-J-I, which is a graphic design service that we use, also like Design Pickle. There's a company based in Australia called Automation Agency that will do unlimited website changes and updates for you. So that you can really like break it down into what these little things are that you might need. There's, a, there's another one which is awesome called Go GoCatalant where you can hire a Stanford MBA to do financial predictions for you for four hours at a time. I mean, it, if you can think it, it's out there, but you really need to utilize them the right way by going through this process. And the, uh, the, the other thing about using all of these services is that uh, ultimately they're going to allow you to sort of expand and contract your business as you need. This sort of very general exercise that I like to go through to figure out what you should outsource and sort of when is uh, I call it the three circles. So the first circle is the things you're excellent at. The second are things that you're competent at, but not excellent. And then the third circle is things that you're bad at, but you're still doing them anyway. Now, anybody can do this, take a piece of paper and draw these three circles and take a few minutes and write three to five things in each one. So do that. And then what you'll find is that the things that you're excellent at, that's what you should be focusing on doing the most of. That's obvious. The stuff in the middle, the things that you're competent at, that's typically the core team members that you need to have. That's what we see all the time. So for me, writing is a competency. I'm not amazing at it. I'm not efficient at it, but we need to do it a lot. And it's, it's an important part of the business. So of my team of five, we, we have one writer, Amy, who does all of the writing. The third one, which is the stuff that you're bad at, but still do anyway, that's the kind of stuff you should just straight up outsource, uh, which is why I have a team of five 
but probably 200 contractors that we work with on a regular basis. And you can do that for everybody in your team. Now, ideally, you want to have several people on your team where your competence is their excellence. Mm. You straight up outsource. If you're bad at bookkeeping, you probably don't need a bookkeeper on your team. You can outsource it to a service like paro.io, for example. So it's a really great exercise. Very simple, but really powerful. I definitely find um, particularly those things that you're not good at and oftentimes they're things that you don't enjoy. They're the ones that zap all of the energy as well. And it's, it's a bit of a funny one in business, like the, this idea that, you know, you should only focus in on your strengths and your unique ability. And then people, they hear that idea and then they stop short thinking, oh, yeah, I just double down on my strengths, not realizing that in business, you know, this is a symphony with multiple different instruments. So, yes, let's stop playing this, but you still have to get someone else to play that instrument. And a lot of people miss that when they focus in on strengths. It's in business, you have to have all of the pieces playing. So that's, yeah, I think it's a real key one to then, as you said, once you've got it in that circle, you, you need to then have someone cover it because it's not enough to just go, oh, my marketing skill is going to outmuscle the fact that we don't have a bookkeeper and, you know, we're, we're doing that horribly as part of the business. So it's, yeah, I think that's really good insight there. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And so, again, you go through that process, that three-part process for most of the challenges of your business and it's not necessarily that tactical, but it's going to give you a really, really important high-level way of approaching it and will make a really massive difference. Mm-mm. The other one, because you mentioned Fiverr, um, another one that works really well, uh, you would have seen as well with Upwork, the way that you can do the filters now. I mean, they've had it for a while, but you can filter everything from hours worked, feedback, price, location, skill set, and like those pre-filters to get the top, five percent i think that's one thing i've noticed because just recently i signed up to your newsletter i'll make sure i put it put a link to that you are the king of finding tools and services and emerging sort of ways to solve some of these problems going on i don't know if it's getting fed through to you from your community or if you've just got an ethernet cable plugged into the back of your head but you are across these tools like no one else yeah, so it's been a big part of my my sort of my life, I guess, and my my content obsession in some ways. And I, I've always prided myself on going through thousands uh, of blog posts a given week and dozens of podcasts and all sorts of things. I've just been like an information sponge forever. But I figured out a hack around that too, because I would say that I was probably spending like when I was beginning to write the blog and the books and stuff that would become this sort of system and everything. I was probably spending ten hours plus a week, uh, probably way more than that, probably twenty hours a week, just on like absorbing content. So there's this really great platform that I use called Monkey Learn, which is a machine learning platform. And I had an idea. That was the one. Yeah, that was the one I was thinking. Yes, Monkey Learn. So uh, several. Months ago, I had this idea that I could train a monkey learn algorithm to pick tech tools the way that I do for me. It took me about two days, turns out, and uh, it does. So I haven't read a blog post like that in months now. Um, basically, what I did was I had it, I fed in several different blogs like Product Hunt and TechCrunch, all these different things. And then I spent a couple hours and I said, this is interesting and this is not. This is interesting and this is not. Uh, and now those RSS feeds automatically feed into the uh, algorithm. 
And when it finds something that it thinks is interesting, it puts it in Trello as a Trello card. And then if we agree, if I agree, I move it to the next list and say like, you know, this is a good one. Mm -hmm. And if I don't agree, I archive it, which continues to go back and train the model further and further. So when I, when I first turn this on, I think we got 20 things the first day. And now we probably get one or two every other day. And they're like 95% spot on. So if you don't think you're replaceable, you are. Yeah, I reckon that's a big takeaway from this session. Just uh, you're, you're a unique individual snowflake, just like everybody else. <laughs> you know what's amazing? There are probably a thousand other people in your zip code that do the exact same thing that you do. Yes. Yeah. I think that, I think that's really the key. For some reason, the, the business owner it just becomes part of their ego because they've done everything so well up until this point and they've built the business to this size because they've done everything. And then it's, I think as you get older, that's when you start to realize there are, you know, it wasn't until it was almost like that thing I was talking about before about when you're working with one individual, it's not until you work with a few that you realize how bad you are. When my COO came and she started working with me, I used to think I was good at um, people managing. I actually thought I was good at it. And then I realized what a good people manager looks like. Yeah. So it's um, definitely a process. I, I appreciate you diving through, you know, taking us through this three-step framework, optimize, automate, and then outsource. I'm going to make sure I'll link to a lot of the things that we talked about. We'll link over to Less Doing website, suggest people get a copy of your book. I don't know if there are any final points you wanted to uh, touch on to close out the session. Uh, no, I mean, that, that's the main thing. And I, I really do think that that helps quite a bit. If people are interested in getting some more of like the specific processes, like how I built that machine learning algorithm or the automated hiring processes, that's something that we can certainly offer to people in the summit. We have this thing called the process playbook. It's about a 60 page PDF with five or six of my coolest processes that you can just sort of copy. Um, so once you get to that point, and you just want to map these things over, you can, but you have to start as tempting as it might be, you have to start with Optimize Automate Outsource first. Yeah, perfect. Well, a big thank you for your time, Ari. Put all the, the links underneath the session and we'll talk soon. Thank you so much. You've just been listening to the System Hub Podcast. Remember, we've documented this system for you so you can literally swipe and deploy it within your business. Head to www.systemhub.com forward slash podcast to download it now. 